Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. How good do I have to be? One of the most depressing things I think is sometimes the arguments that appears to be happening between evangelical Christians, particularly uh, across the Atlantic in America, about behavior and about belief. And you look at sometimes at some of the church and you think, gosh, how is it that you're so critical of each other? And the debate rages around whether it's people believe the right things or whether they're behaving the right way. How good do you have to be to be a Christian? Or is it not about being good? Can you be as hypocritical as you want? This is all part of our series in John's 14, looking at how Jesus is saying he's about to ascend to heaven, he's about to die, but they're not going to be left on their own because he's going to send them another helper, and one like him, the Holy Spirit, and that he's not leaving them. They will not be fatherless, but that uh, him having been father to them is not something they are going to lose. And we talked about the life that he wants them to have now that he's risen from the dead, the resurrection life. And then last time we talked about being in Jesus and uh, Jesus being in us. We pick it up with a very interesting, or I think interesting, you might not. Some people see it a very controversial verse. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And that immediately raises questions in me, like how do I know if I love Jesus enough? And what does Jesus command? Now, fortunately, those are two studies that we've already looked at in John because John has been telling us Jesus has come to these ideas before. So if you go back to John 8, there is a talk entitled, How Do I Know If I Love Jesus? And just a few weeks ago, there is a, a talk entitled, Help, Helps to Love. And those two talks, if you go back on YouTube and find them, will answer those, those two questions. So we're going to look at the second part of the verse. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them. Now, my problem is that these texts make me ask questions. So the questions that I was thinking about this is, am I only loved if I love Jesus first? In other words, is Christianity something done to us or by us? Is it something we believe or we do? Am I only loved if I am being loving? Or am I loved never, never, without any consequences of whether I'm loving? If I am loved, do I, need to carry, do I need to be loving if I'm already loved? And then towards the end of the talk, we're going to ask the question, how can Jesus reveal himself to us? He says, I will show myself to them. So is Christianity something done to us or by us? Now, the reason why this is a big debate in evangelical circles in, in other countries and perhaps in our own country is because you can find verses that say either thing. You can look at um, the, the writings of Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, and he'll say in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's very clear faith is something that's given to us. It's a gift. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And he seems to be implying that it's an action of love and it's our behavior. So am I saved by faith or by my behavior? John, in his letter, says a similar issue. He says, we love because he first loved us. 
But even within the same chapter, he says, if we say we love God but hate a brother or sister, we are liars. So is it that God loves us or that we love God? How are we saved? Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our need. And yet James says, you see that people are justified by what they do and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So are we saved because God loves us or are we saved because we love God? Even in the Gospels, Jesus seems to say both things. He says, everyone who believes may have eternal life. We looked at that several times in John's Gospel already. But compare that with Matthew 25. Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Those who are saved are those who fed the hungry. So is Christianity something done to us or by us? There are three options. Options number one is to ignore all the verse that stress works. And this is why we get debates and arguments between Christians, because what they do is people take all the verses that support the view that they think is right, and they just don't explain or bother to look at or ign and ignore all the verses that say dump something different. So one option is to ignore all the verses that stress work. So we, we ignore James, we ignore Matthew 25, we ignore 1 Corinthians 13. The other uh, um, option is to ignore all the verses that stress faith alone. So we ignore Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you've been saved. We ignore Jesus talking about belief bringing eternal life. Now I think both of, both of those views are unsatisfactory and they will lead to conflict and division because people are just trying to shout louder with the verse they think is more important. And for me, what we need to do is to try and harmonize and find understanding that explains both, where both things, because I, don't, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. It doesn't have mistakes. We aren't meant to just ignore the bits that don't say what we want them to say. To me, it's a little bit like a bicycle wheel the spokes on the bicycle wheel are pushing outwards. They're pushing in opposite directions. And if all the spokes are equally tent taut and pushing outwards, we have a complete circle. And it's this tension of emphasizing different things in different directions that gives us the circle, the whole that God wants. So let's begin with a broken bicycle wheel. How do we harmonize these things? Is Christianity something done to us or bias. Well, we start with the understanding that, we, uh, that nobody is good enough to be, have the behavior of heaven. The good enough behavior for heaven is not possible. In heaven, there is no sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more selfishness, no more injustice, no more greed, no more hurtful words. And none of us live that life. We're all involved in the process of breaking God's command to love. So none of us deserve to be in heaven. None of us can say, I'll, I'll live properly in heaven. So what we discover is that God reaches out to us and Jesus dies the death we deserve that we might live forever. This is our salvation. And this salvation is received by the decision to follow Jesus. He says to the disciples, come and follow me. We receive the salvation of Jesus on the cross by saying, Lord, I choose to follow you. And in the humility of our brokenness, we seek his mercy. And in the seeking of his mercy, we come with repentance 
to God. So we're beginning to push this broken wheel outwards. Salvation is come through Jesus, but it's received by seeking his mercy and evidencing that in repentance. So repentance and following Jesus is evidenced by changed desires. It's not just a language. It's not just the words that we say, oh, I'm sorry, I repent. No, repentance is something that happens in the heart. And the evidence that it's happening is that we feel differently about the things we were doing wrong. And as we feel differently about them, our behavior changes. We no longer want to be selfish. We no longer want to be greedy. We no longer want to be bitter. We no longer want to be liars. We no longer want to be apathetic to the needs of others. But as we no longer want these things, we begin to recognize how unworthy we are and how far short we fall from the, the, the model of love that we see in Jesus. So our repentance is causing us to see more and more how we're not good enough. And so this increased recognition of unworthiness leads to an increased faith in grace. And so the whole thing becomes a circle. We go back and we realize that we need his grace and we need his forgiveness. And as we need his forgiveness, we receive that by repenting. As we repent, we realize that we're not doing all that we should be doing. And so we need his forgiveness. And that's what is the perfect circle. So it is both true that you cannot say you love God and hate your brother. You are a liar if you say you love God. And yet our salvation begins with God saying, coming to us in love. He loves us first. So are only those who love Jesus loved? John tells us we love because he first loved us. He tells us the words of Jesus, for God so loved. Love is the beginning. So does that mean that everybody is loved? And this verse is incorrect when it says that those who love God will be loved by the Father. Well, we believe that God loves everyone first but that without repentance, patience runs out. Let me try and explain it this way. If we drew a huge circle and we defined this circle as those who are loved by God, we would put all of humanity in it. But we then might have a smaller circle within that, which we might call the repentant. And those are the people who are saved by God because they realize that the way they live is unworthy of heaven and they need Jesus' forgiveness uh, demonstrated on the cross. Now, if we take that group out and we're just left with the loved by God who are also unrepentant, how do we describe them? They are loved by God, but they are eternally lost so they no longer are receiving his love because they are, they are destroyed. They are thrown into hell. They no longer exist. So they're no longer able to receive his love or able to know him. So it's really important that we understand that God loves all humanity, but he is saying that unless we love him, we will lose that love because we will be destroyed. We will perish, as John 3.16 says. And what happens in this life if we get the balance between faith and actions wrong? 
If there's too much emphasis on actions, if we think we are saved by our goodness and and our right behavior, then inevitably we live in guilt and fear because we can't live up to it and we don't feel good enough and we feel unworthy and we're afraid of God because we can't meet the standards we think he demands on us. But too little emphasis on action where we think everything is about grace and God will forgive me whatever I do actually leads to a sense of meaninglessness. We lose the purpose for living. Our life becomes uh, empty. We're unpopular because people just call us hypocrites and that, we, that our lives are a sham because they don't reflect God. We're unloving and therefore we're unfruitful. And because we're unfruitful, our lives are meaningless. Later on, we're going to read how he cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. So we have to hold the two things together. We hold his grace and we hold his command to love. And we cannot put a a, a line between them. They are the two uh, twin towers of following Jesus. And he says that he will show himself to them. So how can Jesus reveal himself to us when we love him? Well, just a number of things to conclude. He speaks through his word. He reveals himself because as we listen and become rooted in scripture, as we breathe it in, we find it makes sense to us. It resonates, it excites us, it feels applicable and relevant. It gives us an assurance. And in our last talk, we talked about John Wesley's experience. But the second thing in which, in which the way in which God reveals himself to us is he gives us a sense of assurance and belief in the cross. It makes sense to us. It feels right. We, we, it's no longer foolishness to us. He's revealed himself through the cross and therefore the, a freedom from guilt and fear. And as we seek to love God, we should begin to feel that, that guilt and fear is, is, is melting, is being reduced. Now, some of us will say, I still feel fearful and guilty. Am I not loving God enough? Well, it depends how much fear and guilt we start with. I certainly believe that as we draw near to him, as we seek to love him, fear and guilt will reduce and ideally will become something that's very infrequent. And as we draw near to him in love, he grants us his presence felt in worship. In worship, I mean both the adoration, the speaking out of who he is, and the service, the act of obeying him. Both are expressions of love. As we seek to love God by telling others and ourselves how good he is in adoration and by uh, loving those he's placed in front of us through service, we feel him. And again, this is something that grows as we seek to love God. We feel him more than we did before. Now, tragedy and difficulty and periods of wilderness will come where we might say, I don't feel him. But over the long call, we should feel God more and more. And one of the ways we'll feel him is that he changes our heart. And we begin to have different values to what we used to have. We see things in a different way. We are moved by different things. Some things lose their appeal because God is at work. He's revealing his nature in us and we're becoming less ungodly. And he is guiding our actions. We begin to want to do what he wants. And here is this similar circle again, where uh, God, uh, as we seek to want what God wants, he works in us to want what he wants. It becomes a a natural uh, cycle. 
and he guides us. We begin to think, I want to help that person. I want to share my faith with that person. I want to pray for that person. I want to visit that person. I want to hang on and be patient with that person. I don't want to give up on this person. I don't want to speak unkindly about them. He guides our actions. So, questions for reflection. Have we the right balance between faith and works? And where do we need to accept more his grace? Or where do we need to follow him more closely? Are we too much on grace and actually we're feeling a bit empty and pointless because we're not serving him enough? Or are we too much on works and we're living in fear and duty and guilt? Where are we? Are we in balance? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you first loved us. We thank you that you've poured out your grace. We thank you that uh, we are saved, not because of any good deeds, but because you have called us. And we thank you that we can receive that salvation when we cry out to you for mercy. And as we cry out for you, to you for mercy, we thank you that that recognition that what we're doing wrong is a driving force for us to want to be different. So Lord, will you help us to follow you and to obey your command to love? Where we've neglected your commands, will you inspire us to love you more? Where we are fearful and have not received your grace, will you inspire us to receive your love more? Help us to be people of faith and action of grace and service. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.